Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Monday. This is Seattle Now. We are in the depths of a drug crisis. At least 1,200 people have died from overdoses so far this year in King County. There's one solution the Seattle area hasn't adopted, even though it has a track record of saving lives and other benefits. Seattle Times reporter Greg Kim will tell us about safe consumption sites in a minute and the locals trying to open them up here. But first, here's what's coming up this week. Attorneys will present their closing arguments to a Tacoma jury today in the case of Manny Ellis. Ellis died in police custody after a confrontation with three Tacoma police officers in March 2020. Now two of them are charged with murder, one with manslaughter. Prosecutors argue that officers used excessive force on Ellis. The defense argues the officers were doing their job and attempting to restrain someone out of control. Sound Transit will vote on Friday on whether to charge a flat fare of $3 for any light rail ride. They recently polled riders on flat fares, as well as potentially charging for park and ride spots. The current fares range from $225 to $350. If the board approves, flat fares would take effect sometime in fall 2024 when a four-station extension opens from Northgate to Linwood. And the final full council vote for this version of the Seattle City Council is this Tuesday. Five newcomers will be sworn in in January. They'll have the task of filling Teresa Mosqueda's vacant seat as she leaves for the King County Council. Five council members, four newcomers and incumbent Dan Strauss were endorsed by Mayor Bruce Harrell this election cycle. So look for a lot more agreement in the year to come. In the 90s, Vancouver, British Columbia was in the throes of a heroin epidemic. Overdose deaths quadrupled in just a few years. Activists, many of them drug users themselves, rallied to address the problem. These activists were trying to do two things. They were trying to convince people that drug users' lives matter, that we need to be taking these crises seriously and doing something to prevent these deaths. Um, But they were also taking matters into their own hands. Greg Kim is a reporter for the Seattle Times Project Homelessness. He says the advocates in Vancouver came up with a new way to prevent overdose deaths. Shared spaces where people could use drugs together and call 911 if someone overdosed. The general idea is called a safe consumption site, and it worked. The people who visited these impromptu clinics in Vancouver were much less likely to die. At the same time, they're they're winning over local politicians who are also seeing, you know, the incredible number of deaths that are spiking around this time. And they're showing that this is a solution. And by 2003, they've won enough elected officials over to open Insight, which was the first sanctioned safe consumption site, the one that was basically okayed by the local and federal government. Sanctioned sites like Insight aren't just a room for people to take drugs. They're staffed with medical professionals who keep a close eye, ready to administer naloxone to reverse overdoses. In the two decades it's been in operation, close to 12,000 people have overdosed at Insight. No one has died. Just like Vancouver in the 90s, Seattle is in the throes of its own drug epidemic today, fentanyl. Overdose deaths in King County have tripled in the last four years. So far in 2023, more than 1,200 people have died from an overdose in our communities. Seattle and King County seemed ready to open our own safe consumption site in 2016. Local government put aside almost $2 million for a preliminary plan, but the effort fizzled out. 
Greg Kim is here to tell us why and how local advocates in the city are trying to forge their own path. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Trish. So we heard a bit about how effectively Insight has helped combat overdose deaths in Vancouver, B.C., but safe consumption sites also offer a lot more services. So let's talk about the experience and what people get out of these spaces. Yeah. So by far, the primary thing here is to prevent people from dying. And if it did nothing else, advocates of safe consumption sites say that they would still be worth it, right? If we can uh, reduce the number of people dying from overdose, that's worth it alone. But there are other benefits, like Insight has a lot of other services that they offer, and advocates say that it's a good gateway into treatment and recovery and potential sobriety. A lot of times, the moment after an overdose is when people are like, okay, I need to do something about this. I need to turn this around. And so that's an opportunity. That's a moment that people working at some of these sites say, you know, is worth capitalizing on. If, if you can take that moment and, and offer someone treatment starting right then, that's a good way to get people onto a different path. And so some places like Insight um, have treatment options available there. Um, so there are avenues towards a life outside of drug addiction that's offered starting at the place where they can use. You know, let's come back to Seattle, Greg, because back in 2016, the city and King County set aside $2 million, almost $2 million to begin the process of opening a safe consumption site, but it never happened. Let's talk about what went wrong there. Yeah. So basically everyone was in support of this. <laughs> I think that's kind of fair to say that elected officials were in basically near unanimous support of this, but they ran into obstacles. And the main obstacle that elected officials will point at is the Trump administration, right? Uh, this was 2016. Uh, this was when President Donald Trump was in office. And they said they were afraid that President Trump's administration would prosecute them for doing something that's illegal because, you know, using that's drugs what he said. Is, is federal legal. He did say that, yes. There are advocates who say, like, you know, was that the real reason? Because they were running into other issues too, right? Like neighborhoods and cities were saying, we don't want this here, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we had cities around King County that were passing ordinances basically banning uh, a safe consumption site being added in their city. Same thing with neighborhoods, you know, trying to find a neighborhood that would be willing to host this was almost impossible. Uh, while they still said they were in support of safe consumption sites, they were just like, uh, and it just kind of fizzled out, right? Yeah, yeah. Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell was actually around as a council member for the first go around on this in 2016. Where does he and the rest of our local leaders stand on the issue today? It's kind of split. Uh, Mayor Bruce Harrell has kind of changed his messaging on this to say that he doesn't know whether these work, right? And I'll, I'll start here because it's a really interesting point because what does it mean to work, right? Mm. Like there's data, very, very clear data to show that there is a reduction in deaths, but maybe that's not the goal. Maybe the goal is to reduce street disorder. Maybe that's the primary goal. Maybe the goal is to completely eliminate the drug crisis. And in that case, you know, it doesn't work. Uh, so there, that's Bruce Hill. There are other elected officials who are kind of in the same boat as back in 2016, where they say we are in support of this. Like, this is a good idea. We see the data. Uh, it does work. We want this, 
but it's still federally illegal. So we, there are these legal challenges that stand in the way. That's what um, uh, County Executive Dow Constantine will say. You know, and you know, still the same issues of like who will or where would this go, and where would it, what neighborhood or city would be willing to have this? Those challenges remain, of course. Yeah. Well, a lot of the discussion about drug use this year has been about Washington's new state law making public drug use a misdemeanor. Seattle is enforcing that law, and I wonder how that meshes or not with the possibility of setting up these safe consumption sites. We have a drug crisis, right? And people are demanding action. A lot of the time, people don't know what exactly should be done. They're just saying, this is a really big problem. We should do something about it. Do something, right? To some extent, I think that has fueled like this reaction that we're seeing where elected officials are like, okay, we're going to do something. Right. And that something looks like uh, more enforcement, uh, a crackdown uh, strategy towards uh, the drug crisis, right? Are they synergetic? Do they kind of fit together this strategy of crackdowns versus harm reduction? You know, I think a lot of people would say that they're kind of the opposite direction, mm. um, that they have different goals, uh, that the crackdown is looking more after people who aren't in the throes of drug addiction and, and the goals for a clean uh, neighborhood with clear sidewalks and, um, you know, less visual aesthetic disorder, right? So that's that goal. And that the harm reduction goal that safe consumption sites fit under is looking at the people who are dying in crazy numbers, right? Like you said 1,200 in King County in one year. Like that is a crazy number and tripled over the last four years. That's an insane rate of change. I think the two approaches are, you know, something that stems from we have a drug crisis and we need to do something about it, but they do serve kind of different purposes and different goals. Yeah. Yeah. And 1,200, those are people with lives and families that went sideways at some point, right? Yeah. Even without support from local leaders, some organizations in the city, because of the seriousness, right, have started small operations to try to replicate the services that you saw in Vancouver, B.C. What are they doing? Yeah. So Lisa Dugard is an activist in Seattle, and she runs several homelessness nonprofits. She's also kind of a political thinker. She knows what's like uh, possible or likely to be supported. Um, and she's kind of seen, read the tea leaves too and been like, okay, safe consumption sites, maybe that's not going to fly. What she's decided is that her organization, which runs shelters, homeless shelters, she's just going to add safe consumption as a part of that. She set up these smoking tents, which are kind of like these pop-up canopies next to the shelter. Um, they're generally removed from the sidewalk. And these are areas where if people staying at the shelter are users, staff encourage them to smoke fentanyl or whatever at the smoking tent. And the idea is to get them out of their rooms and have them in a location where staff have a line of sight on them. And it's kind of operating in the same way that a safe consumption site is, where staff, if staff see an overdose, they have naloxone on hand, they'll go and reverse that overdose, right? Uh, in three and a half years of operation uh, on across multiple sites, they've re reversed about 100 overdoses, not all at the tent, but you know a lot. Her calculus here is people are more willing to do this when it's not just a safe consumption site or where it's not just people come use drugs and they prevent them from dying. They also have all these other services. They have a home. 
you know, they have a treatment and pathway out of homelessness and out of drug addiction. You know, they uh, and she's saying that people would be more supportive of this model uh, than one that looks just like people using drugs and, and, and keeping them alive, right? Somehow that's more palatable because there's more services involved because it's a broader approach than just a drop-in center to keep you alive. I totally. Guess. And yeah. I, I see her argument here. Like a lot of people I talk to about safe consumption sites, they're like, you know, like, the goal of just keeping a person alive, but in a situation where they're addicted to drugs, they're living on the street, where it doesn't look like it can be better, they're like, what's almost the point of that? You know, like that that sounds heartless, you know, and other people would say like, no, there's totally a point in any life and saving any life, right? But there is that argument being made by some people. So she is speaking to a uh, segment of people who are like, hey, look, we're going to do our best to like actually change the situation. And she thinks um, that is something that people would support. Yeah. Well, she's operating in this gray area. Fentanyl and other opioids are illegal, both here in Washington and federally. And as you mentioned, local leaders have pointed to those laws as a big barrier to setting up these sites. Is there a way, like Lisa Dugard is doing here, to operate maybe in a gray area to make this work? I think everyone wants to address these 1,200 deaths that we saw this year. People know that this isn't something we want happening in our community. And standalone safe consumption sites, we have the same barriers as 2016. I don't know that we have a super likelihood of getting them. But I could see a path where Lisa Dugar's model of safe consumption coupled with shelter and other services, you know, I could see elected officials being like, not busting that, right? Like, and then other shelters adopting that and that becoming a more prevalent model in our community. And then maybe at that point, our community would be just more comfortable with the idea. And then, you know, maybe you could move to a a standalone safe consumption site from there because, you know, not everyone's sheltered, right? Like homeless people aren't the only people using drugs, but like most homeless people are unsheltered. They're living on streets, right? Who don't have access to shelters like Lisa Dugard's, right? I'm kind of seeing a path where you go from Lisa Dugard's model spreading into potentially going for it to a standalone safe consumption site there. Well, and if I bring it back to the late 80s, early 90s in Seattle, the first needle exchange in this city was set up by a guy who just set up a table in front of Tower Records and started exchanging needles for people. Mm -hmm. You know, in Vancouver, they just did it, right? They just did it and they showed that it worked and people came around, right? Lisa Dugar is doing that now um, with the safe consumption sites coupled with shelter here. And maybe that's just the way you do things, right? <laughs> that's that's something that has been uh, proposed to me multiple times in reporting the story. Yeah, and undeniably, we are deep in a crisis here. So something needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seattle Times reporter Greg Kim, really appreciate your reporting. Thanks. Thank you, Trish. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Claire McGrain. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Jenny Cecil Moore, and Vaughn Jones. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow.